You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. And I'm John Doyle. And uh, today we're going to talk about Nightmare Alley eventually. But as usual, we have other things to do. Or it's not as usual as we're making as usual. It will be. It will be usual. If you, if you, yeah, it's usual. All right, so it's, it's time to, so now it's usual. Now it's usual. That's right. It That's used good. to not be usual, but yeah, so uh, there's a whole lot of spoilers coming at you for Nightmare Alley. We'll get to that uh, a little bit later, but the first segment that we want to just dive on into is what have you been watching? So what have you been watching, John, over the last week since we uh, last recorded? So the last week's been super strange, right? Yeah. My brother's been in town from California yeah. who may well be listening to this podcast. And uh, as a result, the things I would normally be watching, I was not watching because I was halfway through a whole slew of stuff. Right. Uh, and you don't want to force someone to watch the last two episodes or the penultimate episode or something right, right. before they got, like you don't want to spoil them because you can't handle waiting yeah. around. So. Uh, so yeah, so we watched, I mean, we watched a variety of things that I'm at least, I may mention here, we watched something called the great pottery throwdown. That was, what is that? It's some pottery, um, a British pottery, um, <laughs> is it on Netflix? Reality this show. Sounds like a Netflix it's show. on HBO, really believe it or not, but it is in fact like a, uh, a pottery sister to the great British bake off. Yeah. So, and it was fine. Um, uh, it felt unreasonable what they were asking them to do. People <laughs> were putting in 12 or 14 hours a day yeah. uh, to do pottery because it takes a long time to do the jobs. It just felt like an unreasonable program. It was very emotionally sure. stressful for me. And we're watching, we watched with Ben a program called Sort Of on HBO, which is a um, sort of comedy drama series, a mm. short episodes about a, uh, a trans person who's from uh, the Near East, sort of from India or Pakistan or something. I, I don't know yet. We're not far enough into the series yet. Yeah. Uh, and how they're struggling with their identity within their culture and the broader sort of world that they moved into as a result of um, their, their life choices. It's a good, funny, um, serious piece. But, I, I, but yeah. what I really want to talk about <laughs> is that because uh, I don't think I talked about it last time, is Peacemaker. Did I talk about Peacemaker? We talked a little bit about Peacemaker. I'm just going to say episode seven of Peacemaker, I'm going to say like I needed to do this out loud. I teared up really three quarters of the way through episode seven. Uh, earlier, I almost teared up and then full-blown teared up and could not believe <laughs> the level of emotional manipulation and transformation James Gunn is able to do mm. in his writing. And so if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to spoil it because I want everyone to cry at the same point so I don't feel alone. But <laughs> really, like it completely shocked me the mm. level of sort of emotional response. Uh, to not something I would have expected seven. from Peacemaker. I haven't watched any of it yet. I'll probably wait till the whole thing's out I, to I can tell you that there's through. no question in my mind that they could make another The Suicide Squad under Gunn's direction with the characters, some of the characters from this series, yeah, and people would go see it in the theater because of the level of commitment he's gotten you to huh. get to these characters. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. So, so the series is good. Is I think saying. the series is great. I okay. know some people are uh, aren't sure, um, but it by it yeah. it is extraordinarily good. Cool. Um, and I don't. I think that that is accountable not just to Gun. Yeah. But I think definitively he is crafting the package that makes it that wonderful. 
Hmm. Is yeah. it better than other DC uh, TV shows that are like currently? I don't know what you've watched as far as other DC shows. So, like I know you watched some of um, what's the what's the uh, Doom Patrol? Oh, yeah, I've watched all of Doom Patrol. Okay, I love Doom Patrol. This hmm. is better than Doom Patrol. Really? Okay, by miles. Hmm. Um, the DC CW stuff it just runs past. I mean, yeah, that stuff is fun, but it struggles because of the. Um, the video nature of it, yeah. Like it's, it, well, it's location on where it's going, right? Like the CW is not gonna be the same as stuff that's hitting HBO Max, right? Uh, just not gonna be the same. So yeah, so yeah. I, I would say it is head and shoulders above any other DC live action uh, production that I've seen. Hmm. Um, for, as far as television, goes. as far as television, yeah. Uh, well, I is, mean, be, is it well? Is it, okay? Is it better or worse than the Suicide Squad? Uh, it is a sequel to the Suicide Squad, for all practical purposes, mm -hmm. and I would say it, it is in that difficult range where you're like, if this was a movie, it would be worse because it's long form, it's better. Yeah. So it's it's doing a different thing. Yeah. So if we're not gonna, if we the Suicide Squad, I find infinitely viewable. Right. I think I could watch this over and over, but not like I could the Suicide Squad because it's just right, right, right. The, that condensed two-hour feel is a very different thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, but when you compare it to anything else, and and Doom Patrol's good, but Doom Patrol has tons of yeah bumps in the road. Right. Uh, where this feels like every it hits on every cylinder, every episode. Yeah, I'm not a huge DC fan. Like when it comes to like what the, I guess the new DC universe that is the DCEU that exists right, right now because it just doesn't feel, I don't know, I'm just so used to the way Marvel's done things that, that DCEU just, just feels so disjointed and I'm like, what is the point? And some of their movies flop really hard and some of the movies are really good. Um, actually, I'm not, I'm not even sure I can say that. The Suicide Squad is really good and I'm hoping that the Batman coming up pretty soon is is excellent. I'm hoping that that is excellent. Uh, the Heroes Super Bowl commercial is trying to make it look really good. Yeah, um, yeah. See, the twenty twenty two. So release. I just don't like. I just don't vibe with the DCEU right now, just because it's just not what I want in. Like at least like when you know you watch something like Thor: The Dark World, <laughs> you know, which is a really crappy MCU film. It's at least like pushing like characters forward down the pipeline of the MCU. Do you know what I mean? I do. And so. So no, so my wife just yelled that you can't hear. You have to watch it sideways. That's the first film. That's the the Thor. The first film is is complete Dutch angles. The second film is just really really crappy altogether. Um, the first film would be better if it wasn't in just Dutch angles. I know Kenneth Branagh was just trying to do like comic book style uh, panels, right, where everything is just a little bit crooked. It just doesn't work. But anyway. Yeah, I'll have to watch Peacemaker. I haven't watched any Doom Patrol. I haven't watched any. I Gotham think you'll like Peacemaker, like especially that. because you like the Suicide Squad, and yeah. it is definitively a sequel to it, cool. and it deals with a lot of what. Uh, if you can take someone who does what Peacemaker does in the Suicide Squad, and make them a character who you care about and who you cry for, yeah, 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 that is a gigantic. Yeah, gigantic. Oh, totally. I, it's not what I expected, at and that's all. what I would say. I mean, and there's a lot to like about it. Um, uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I've been really over the last week. I've been watching um, 
watched the final episode of the book of Boba Fett. Uh, there's a whole lot of problems I think with this show. I mean, the <laughs> show is uh, the show. The show was. I mean, as a Star Wars fan, like the show was so fun. I. I mean, I'm, I'm on board with it. Like, it's it, any Star Wars is like I'm. I'm accepting it. Doesn't mean it's great. Doesn't mean it's good. Um, but th- it has its ups ups and downs. This this series, and um, I think that it struggled with some plotting and structure. There's some flashbacks thrown in there that I just don't think that. Uh, they should have been put into the film or edited into the series okay. in the way that they were. I think that it should have been more chronological rather than um, fla- flashing back and forth. Um, it doesn't really pay off for me as much in the end as it should have, I think. Uh, episodes, again, five and six, amazing. Uh, but the rest of the show kind of struggled. And I was waiting to judge the show as a whole until I saw... Obviously, the entire thing. I know there are a lot of people crapping on it on like episode three. And I'm like, we haven't seen the entire show yet. We cannot say that these flashbacks don't work until we see all the way through the end. Uh, and um, I can say now clearly that they do not work. Um, <laughs> so I don't know whose fault that is. I, I want to say it's actually Favreau's fault um, and not Robert Rodriguez. There's a lot of people out there right now who are calling for Rodriguez to just stay away from Star Wars. I don't think that should be the case. I think Rodriguez should come in at strategic uh, episodes where he can direct action, where he can direct specific types of characters, but I don't think he should necessarily be in charge of an entire series. Right. But based on the writing, Favreau wrote this whole thing, and like if it's written by Favreau and that that's how the structure plays out, I'm gonna blame Favreau, but I can't blame him too much or hate on him too much because he's given us so many other good right, things. Exactly. So yeah, I'll right. forgive him for this. It's still fun. It's still great, but it has some some problems. Is it essential viewing if you're going to continue with this? Yeah. Essential. Uh, yes. Know, I, I want people to think about. Uh, so Favreau was calling Book of Boba Fett like a year and a half before it came out that this was like Mandalorian 2.5, like two and a half season two and a half, and so take that with what you will like it's that's that's all i'll say about the show but it it is necessary to get to the next stage in the television series okay great for sure it's really just a continuation of where we left off in mandalorian season two uh so it is necessary to view um and it's great it's 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 so much fun for sure, but there, it definitely has problems. Absolutely has problems. Uh, and because of that, I went back and I started watching the clone wars animated series, uh, which I forgot how uh, childish it was in like the fir- uh, first two seasons. And now I'm in season four now and it is so dark because mm-hmm. so completely dark. So I understand why like cartoon network canceled this show and then Netflix picked it up. It's I, I don't think I can say that this is a show for kids by season four or five. Right. It is too dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but loving that series. And then the only other movie that I watched, other than um, obviously Nightmare Alley, which we're going to talk about, and Kimmy, which we're going to do a mini-sode on. Right, we'll talk about um, that too, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll release another episode on that this week. Um, only other movie I watched was Unforgiven. And this was the first time I saw this film. And I can't believe I waited 30 years to see this. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. I've owned it for the last so year and a half. Your entire life. My entire life. Entire I waited life. my entire life to watch this movie. <laughs> it came out in 1993, I think. And uh, that's the year I was born. I waited my entire life, waited till the, almost the 30th anniversary to watch this film. And uh, yeah, man, it was, holy cow, that was such a good movie. It's def- definitely a slow burn, definitely a, a slower film. And, um, you know, I haven't seen the only. You know, Clint Eastwood's like this cowboy, right? Like always, like that's just what he did in all of these films, these right. Sergio Leone films, right? The man right. was the man with no name. Yep. 
And uh, I've only seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I need to go oh, yeah, watch yeah, yes. Fistful of Dollars. I need to watch for a few, few dollars, dollars more. more. There's a yeah, yeah. Like I need to watch. Need I need to watch all that. Sister, yeah. But having knowing what he's done in the past, right, and that he's like this iconic cowboy in the same way John Wayne is like. When you think of John Wayne, you think of cowboy, mm-hmm. right? At least that's what my association yeah. with. And same with Clint Eastwood for me is I think of Clint Eastwood, I think of cowboy. Um, this movie felt like him saying, "I am, I my my." I'm pivoting a little bit. This is kind of the end of my cowboy run here. Like I'm done. I know he's done the mule and he's done. That's not really cowboy esque, mm-hmm. and he's done some other stuff afterwards. This maybe kind of feel in the same kind of ballpark, but this totally felt like his kind of retirement from all of those years of doing this cowboy work. Uh, and man, he is still super badass in this movie and it holds like he holds on to that until the very end. Mm-hmm. And so you're hoping the entire film that he's going to, he's going to show who he used to be. And he does in the end, it pays off so well. The plant and payoff on this film is just unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Gene Hackman's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, who, it, I didn't realize was in it. I didn't yeah, even realize he was in it. He's, I mean, Hackman over and over again in these sort of second roles, right? Where he's mm-hmm. playing, where he's partnering or pairing with someone. Yeah. He's just amazing. Uh, and I think he's, a, there's a scene where he's sort of, they're in a bar together that I actually use in class to talk about, mm. you know, uh, production design and yeah. shooting structure and the way you frame uh, your shots to tell a story because it's just beautifully done. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great film. It's a great, it was a great film. There's some, I think it's a near flawless film. I think it's 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 pretty perfect as far as films go. And then there's there are scenes in there that are just completely perfect, that will uh, heighten tension and just keep you on the edge of your seat and just completely suck you in. Um, specifically, the the scene where Gene Hackman hands his pistol to the writer, and you're not sure if it's loaded. You're not sure if the writer right. will actually shoot. You're not sure if the writer is, was has been playing him the entire time. And then the writer can't can't pull the trigger. He's like, well, well, what if I hand it to English Bob here behind right. in, in the prison cell? And you're like, oh, he might actually do it. And prison Bob doesn't. And then you find out at the end that the gun is loaded and English Bob is just completely disappointed in uh, his decision for mm-hmm. not taking the gun. And it's just, it's stuff like that is that scene there that just, it shows you kind of who you're dealing with, with Gene Hackman's character. Oh, the whole movie is just so good, and uh, yeah, and it challenges all of. I mean, when it came out, it part of what it was doing was challenging this whole lore about the American right, West right. that had been seen through the eyes of you know popular culture. Really, really, yeah. challenging it pretty drastically, and uh, challenging that idea of that lone individual and the consequences of that level of violence. Right, and uh, I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater, and it was devastating i mean really devastating. it is it's it's tough i mean the, the entire theme of it's i mean the thing that's repeated over and over again is it's hard to kill a man mm-hmm. right it's hard to to enact that level of violence and we see another perfect scene where morgan freeman can't pull the trigger on mm-hmm. sniping these guys out in the canyon and he hands it over to clint eastwood who can just do it without even right a beat right like mm-hmm. he can just do it and it's kind of heartbreaking to watch um because really, uh, Clint Eastwood's character, William Money, is such, he's, he's this anti-hero in this mm-hmm. film, but you're rooting for him the entire time. It's a different type of anti-hero than what you'd see in like Breaking Bad, where you, you're not approving of somebody's actions. Like I think this entire time we can, we can approve of what he's doing 
to in a, in a sense, right? He's going out there to he wants the money so he can feed his kids and his and his family. Um, he's a bit heartbroken from the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. He's um, trying to, I, I guess, um, get justice for this woman who's been mutilated a bit. Like there's these things, and obviously he's kind of lying to himself this entire film. But it's it's it was it was way deeper than I thought it was yeah. going to be. I thought it was just going to be a standard cowboy film. And then I find out it's also directed by Clint Eastwood. Right. And yeah, oh man, that movie was so good. So that was the best thing I watched good. this week. I think that's great. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's about it. So let's um let's maybe dive into our review of Nightmare Alley now. Please concentrate on this object I have in my hand, Professor. What can you tell me? Wristwatch, leather band, brass, not gold. Oh, old, worn down. Oh, but it's full of meaning. Oh, it wasn't yours originally, was it? You took it, or you stole it, didn't you? Oh, I see an older man. Oh, the boy hates him. Oh, the boy would love to be loved, but he hates that man. He... <laughs> oh. Death. Death and the wish of death. Okay, so I ask you the same question every single time. What did you think of Nightmare Alley? I love how it's such an open phrased question and suddenly the pressure is on me to make the first stance. <laughs> I'm going to say this. So I enjoyed it more than my brother did and we watched okay. it together. So my, Lisa and my brother and I all watched it together and my brother was thought it was fine. I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. Yeah. It is definitively a Guillermo del Toro film. Right. It is visually... It's historical component, it's yeah. sense of like betrayal and tragedy, all of those things. Right. I know why he picked this as a vehicle for him right now. Sure. He he lives in this world of sort of the depression around the globe in yeah. his in his work. So yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I and I'll get later we'll probably talk about the fact that I've seen the original and yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. things to talk about that outside of how much I liked or disliked the film. It has some issues, uh, and those issues. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's because I saw it, uh, I saw the original first, or because it really does have some issues. But I I like right. it a lot. I think it's very good, and I think there's some very nice performances, and it's beautifully shot. It is undoubtedly beautifully shot. It is it is fully beautifully shot. Like I mean, and you're right because it has that. It does have that Del Toro style. Um, I haven't seen too many films from him. I've seen uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I've seen The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what other films that I might have seen from him. I haven't. I haven't watched a whole lot of his filmography, and I have to say, like, I'm not a huge Del Toro fan. I think I like. I appreciate his work. I like what he's put together. I just, I just don't think that it's for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's just not my vibe. However, this one. I think has been my favorite that I've seen from him because you know he does a lot of these like monster creature type movies mm-hmm. right the shape of water is this you know you have this fish type dude and then you have 
in Pan's Labyrinth, a whole slew of monsters that are in there. Uh, did he do Hellboy? He did the first, the original two Hellboys, both Hellboy and Golden Army. Yeah, not the new one that completely flopped the, with David Harbour. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so I've seen that. I've seen that Hellboy as well. Um, that first one that he did, and like it just, eh, you know, just not not for me. Um, this one still had it had his creatures. It has his his horror aspect. It had his um, monsters in a different way. You know, like he's he incorporated them in a mm -hmm. completely different, different light. Um, and that may have been I, I haven't seen the original film from whatever year that came out. But, you know, I'm not sure how it's been adapted and uh, and everything like that. But, uh, you know, you still had this Del Toro, you know, style. And, yeah, there's and, a look. The, yeah. the color saturation is really high, right? And yeah. there's this intimacy he really tries to do with uh, the camera and we see that across the board i mean his filmography is so diverse so you have like from the shape of water and pan's labyrinth to blade two and you know pacific mm. rim so oh god yeah i've seen that you know, too yeah uh so i and i've seen according to letterbox i've seen 56 percent of his films really uh i've seen 25 I've seen because 25. i'm i'm going to watch chronos tonight in fact okay um, which we will be able to talk about later. But um, yeah, there's only one film of his current films, like the films post his independent life that I haven't seen. Hmm. And it, there's a look, like it, there's a certain kind of color saturation, there's a certain kind of feel the lens has that is very yeah. much him. Um, he loves these like, um, like blues and yellowy oranges. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. he likes that, he, he likes the, that teal and blue and teal. Yep. Uh, the orange and teal color palette, but it's kind of hued differently. It's you know, it's it's a little bit more on the yellow side this time. I mm -hmm. feel like in yeah, this I film, I feel like there certainly is that golden sort of. It's more gold than than orange. Yep. Yeah, uh, it, and it's uh, it's beautiful. It's it's definitely a noir as far as style mm -hmm. style and aesthetic and tone goes. That's for sure. Um, what um, what did you think of the performances here? So I, Bradley Cooper was fine that's yeah. what i want to say first and foremost yeah uh, i i wasn't super impressed with his performance uh, the role is difficult though uh so the role is difficult to create that sense because of the nature of it right there's a great deal of secrecy sure. to him right yeah uh so yeah the, i thought he did fine uh, not good nor bad i thought that um do you think that that's because he wasn't the right actor for the role? Or? Yeah, I, I actually think he's probably not the right actor for the role. Yeah. It, so I'll, this, I'm going to touch on the original once in a while. This is the place yeah. I can do it. So Tyrone Power plays that role in the original. I don't know if you know much about Tyrone Power, no. but he was primarily like heroic, handsome, leading man. Gotcha. Handsome, leading man. So being placed in this role was counter to his normal role. Mm. And as a result, that casting created for an audience a lack of uh, the problem of trust. You're totally because right. The right, way right. he looked, the way people perceive him in the story is the way audience perceived power. Right. And so the, the powers like I'm the good looking handsome guy who people like makes us have to struggle with what we discover about him as the film progresses. Yeah. So we are in the same position as, uh, what's her name? Molly. Molly. Um, we are starstruck by him because right. of an audience. You're charmed. You're, right. yeah, yeah. We, that, and whereas, 
Cooper is not that guy. And so right. in a way, a more someone who might be more traditionally leaning man would have been interesting in contrast. Yeah. Uh, we don't get that same contrast for him. And I mean, I say Cooper does a good job, but I don't feel like he goes very far. His performance isn't memorable in right. any, I mean, most aspects it's not memorable. The final shot is memorable mm -hmm. enough for me, right? Where his descent has been realized. Uh, but it's still, it felt a little bit forced, mm -hmm. that final shot, you know? Um, who would you have cast instead? Uh, that's a harder call, and I'm not sure I can answer <laughs> it off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. I'll think about that as we as okay. we work through. Uh, because I, he's not the only casting thing I had to struggle with. I think okay. Rudy Mara's miscast. Sure. That role needs a level of innocence that she feels too mature for. Mm. Um, I mm. think William, Willem Dafoe was great. Yeah. I thought he was thoughtful and did exactly what I needed him to do. And I think Richard Jenkins, like, as he seems to be doing across the board, yeah, always it's a good. home run. Yeah. Uh, that role in the original film has nowhere near the power that Jenkins brought to it. Um, and I think, you know, Steenburgen was fantastic in what little work she did. Like, mm. and, and David Strathairn is one of my favorite actors. Mm. And as Pete, I thought he really captured some of yeah. the pain and struggle. And, and that's a, a role that is substantially more fleshed out in this new version in the original oh, really? version. Okay. That role is much more about the poor, broken alcoholic right. without the richness of character that we get here. Right. Uh so so there so that you know, I think yeah. he took it to a new place. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, he has a lot more to do in the new film. Hmm. This is adapted from a novel, so I can't tell you which right. Which is grabbing the right thing and which isn't. So, so it was adapted from a novel. And what year did the original film come out? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. Nineteen forty-seven. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. And this is the, is this the first remake of that film? It's yeah, and due for a remake. And it's a hard film because it's long and it has yeah. two plots, right? Right. So there's a carnival story, yeah, that ends sort of, and then there's a post-carnival story that's a different new right it's like right? two different time periods that mm -hmm. yeah and and that first carnival story doesn't really have an arc to it other than trying to leave the carnival with this person right there's no you don't realize the consequence of the carnival or the uh, impact of the carnival until the end of the film mm -hmm. uh, because it's just it was just seeding everything that carnival just seeds the second half uh and makes you trust bradley cooper or whoever right. would have could have been in that lead role instead of Bradley Cooper. Right. And so the original film starts when Cooper's character where Stan is working with what's her name Zena. Mm. Um it starts in the middle of the action. We don't get mm. any of that set up. We don't get him joining the uh the carnival none of that. Yeah. We're literally right in the middle of it. So we don't know very much. Like you start in the carnival where she where, literally he, where he's, he's doing in the, the audience. Yeah. Like doing the work that he's doing collecting in the audience, the cards collecting the cards like and that. And we watch him flirt with Molly. We watch him encounter Molly's bodyguard for all practical purposes who was per, who Perlman plays. Right. You know, we we see all that, but it's that's giving us the geography of the carnival. Mm -hmm. It's not, we don't even, I don't even know when I watched the film the first time, if I knew he was, it felt like he was the lead character. Right. Right. Where it's a, this is a movie about the carnival, whereas Del Toro's is definitively a movie about Stan, a movie about Stan. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, and because it starts with him dragging the body across the floor and then setting this house on fire and walking away, 
you're left wondering, did he just kill this guy? You have to assume he did and he lit the house on fire, doesn't want anybody to find out. And so you automatically, you don't trust him at first and you're mm -hmm. wondering what he's up to. And then over the course of that entire carnival sequence where he's trying to get, uh, you know, trying to trying to woo Molly over, you start to trust him and you, you realize that, oh, maybe what he did in the beginning wasn't what we thought he was doing. And where you kind of forget about it after a little bit, he has these nightmares mm -hmm. here and there too, and uh, yeah, that that whole carnival sequence, uh, I can't imagine just just jumping right in and not having any of that and it, what, house fire stuff. And what it does is it really makes him um a less, it makes him more ambiguous. Yeah, and as a result, through the film, we really aren't sure where he is, where we yeah. are distrustful of him. This film feels more morality tale-ish in the noir mm. as opposed to the ambig ambiguity yeah. of human action. Right. Uh, and the love affair between he and Molly is much more developed in the original. Really? Because I I don't know what the novel is, right? I sure. can't tell you what, if it's a, which is grabbing the source material better. But it has to be because there's the significant age difference we feel in the when you're watching it. Yeah. And Rome running away with a woman is a different story in 1947 in a film than right. it is today. Right. So like they have to get married in the original. Like that's oh, wow. that. so like Perlman's like, all right, we're going to, you're going to make her honest. And he yeah. says, I'm going to, I'm marrying her. Like that's, it's not right. going to run away together. Right. It's we're going to get married because it has to be because the society's acceptance of that adventure, right. they can't be living together while they're doing their act later sure. in the film. Whereas in this film, it's that's overlooked, and it's just you just you you assume that everybody on the outside is just viewing them as like this partnership, right? A these couple, coworkers, and they're allowed are, to do it, right? They're allowed to and do it. It's fine because doing. of how society is today, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, you 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 end up rooting for them too, right? You want their relationship to be successful. You want their relationship to be healthy. And when we jump time two years after they leave the carnival together, and you realize that he's just a dick to her and doesn't treat her right you're immediately disappointed mm -hmm. um that time jump it, it gives you hope for a bit because you're like oh they've made it two years together they're doing their thing they're successful in their show and then the way he snaps at her after the show ends just completely breaks you yep. um yeah it's I think you might be right about both of them not being cast I think Rooney Mara is a great actress and Agreed. so it's just it's difficult. I think she played the role well. I just, I think you might be right with that. Maybe she isn't quite innocent enough. She feels mature, older. Yeah. yeah. One of the things too, I think that's really interesting is the alcohol death. Pete's alcohol mm -hmm. death mm -hmm. is so much more accidental in the original. The, it felt very much right. planned, right? He did that to get the notebook is right. how it feels to me. Right. And it's, it's the sort of thing I said, okay, the second Willem Dafoe was like the red the red box and the, whatever, the green box, whatever the other color was. The red box is poison. The other box is, is fine. Make sure you pay me for whatever alcohol. I'm like, okay, so someone's getting poisoned in this film at some point. Uh, otherwise, there's no, there's no point in saying that. And I was just waiting for it to happen. And uh, you watch him take from the box and you just, again, just so disappointed in him because you like Pete, right? You like Pete way more in this film, even though he is an alcoholic and struggling and like maybe messing up the show here and there. You want, but we know to... why we know he did this thing that we know yeah. that 
is yeah. going to be done. We we find that Stan eventually does that is does this like soul damage to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. It the the in the original they uh they meet together. Mm. He and Pete like walking around. Yeah, and um he hides the a bottle, and then he gives him his bottle of alcohol, mm. which he thinks is. Is the right one, and it's not because mm. in the same crate he'd put in. There's like a switch, an accidental an switch, accidental switch, and so his discovery of the death is also a discovery of his accountability for yeah. it. But he's not really guilty of it, and there's a and it, so the mm. so Tyrone Powers' play on it is complex, and we understand the complexity of his emotion. Yeah. Where here we have to, we don't get that same sense of right. what's going on, right? Because Cooper is a little more opaque throughout it, right? Yeah. Like what he's doing is a little more opaque. Yeah, and he doesn't take responsibility for it either, which right. is what he he doesn't take responsibility for anything throughout the film, right? It's never his fault uh, right. for anything that happens. Mm -hmm. It's just happenstance. Uh, it's just how the cards have been dealt in a way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, as far as, um, I wanna talk about Kate Blanchett real quick. Yeah, great. Uh, did you feel like she was miscast? Oh, she's fine for me, yeah, but I, I don't she, think she was great, but okay. she's fine. Okay. Perfectly fine. Good. Did a nice job. Yeah. I wonder if you'd feel differently if you didn't watch the original. The uh, woman in the original was stunningly beautiful okay. and underused. Huh. So Blanchette's role and what she does is much, much better. Okay. Like I think she does a really good job and I think it plays really well. Yeah. I thought she was I thought she was great in this role and I completely trusted her. I don't know why <laughs> I right. trusted her, but I did. Um, even though she is so mysterious with how she's approaching things, right? I but I was I was fully, I mean, I guess I guess in the sense of her partnership with Stan, I trusted her. Mm -hmm. um, not that I trusted her as a person for anyone's well being. I figured that she was she she and Stan were like good, you know, right? Um, and then that that twist at the end really shocked me. Uh, so anyway, I thought she was great. Um, can you think of any like? Well, I want to know like what 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 is a problem that you had with this film? Because I know you, you mentioned that you had that the film it has some problems in it, and I'm having a hard time I, thinking of what a problem might be for the film. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about some casting issues and things like that, but is there anything structurally um, that could be the problem? Is that what it, what it was for you, or pacing wise? So, for me. The issues I had, like the the things that held me back from the review that I'd like mm -hmm. to um, that that I could give it, primarily revolve around uh, Bradley Cooper's performance and the placement of that character in a position where the ambiguity is about a lack of. Um, our understanding right. rather than that ambiguity is about um, an ambiguity for the character, right? The ambiguity, we're experiencing the ambiguity, the character isn't. Um, right. I also, there's some stuff that I feel like is telegraphed a little bit. There's a lot that's done much better than the original film. Certainly the of course. structuring yeah. of that back half is really fantastic. Yeah, um, And the, 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 spook ghost using molly to take the place of the lost woman is was so well done yeah like all of that stuff's really good it's still a great 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 movie i think that that there are things about the 
how much we know about Cooper that or Cooper's character about Stan that that makes the film less rich in our audience experience. Mm. It's a noir where our detective, so the, the Stan figure is playing that role, right. um, is too much the bad guy mm. or potentially the bad guy for us to have the same right, right, sense, right. right? So like his, there, there, we, we need, some, we don't need moral clarity, uh, but I just found that to be the problem. Mm. my brother thought it was paced way too slow like his problem was it was too I slow I can see why people right? would think that right be um, especially after I mean you you essentially have you have three acts in this film right you have carnival you have the plan and then you have the execution slash failure of that plan mm -hmm. and because that third act is at, they're not they're not even right they're not all the same length or even uh symmetrical right sometimes the first act is is much shorter than the second act and the second act takes up the most time and then mm -hmm. the third act is the same same amount of time as the first act this third act is like less than 30 minutes it feels like i mean the second i mean the the, the speed of this the pacing just picks up mm -hmm. the second that um him and Molly actually, she comes out with the bloody hands and that 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 ghost figure, yeah, right? Like that's the go, beginning right. of that, and then it just goes wrong from there, and that's right. The it's over finished. in twenty five minutes right. from that moment or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, when you're looking at the film in hindsight and you think of that moment versus the other two acts, I can see why people would be like, "Oh, the movie took forever just to get to this this point where something interesting might have happened for them." and I wasn't. I I was so caught up with trying to figure out what was going to happen that I wasn't thinking about right. it being slow paced or anything like that. But it is long. It's two and a half hours. So. Yeah, and I mean, you have that. Th it, it is from a novel. I think that that's the thing that is really interesting. Yeah, a novel doesn't work in a five act structure, right? And right. So we have these. We have two stories that take place in this. There is a carnival story and a. a a mentalist story right, right. There, and they there's a really distinct dividing line that in this movie there's a two-year gap that we like get played out mm -hmm. so it is in a way two films that are together and i think yeah. for some people that that must feel long because it feels like the carnival yeah no totally. it feels like the carnival storyline it does not i don't believe this mm -hmm. but i could see it feeling that the carnival storyline is just a prologue right but it's a full story right um, and well, because you you can't start the story after the two year jump because you don't get any of the payoff at the end right, of the film. Exactly. You know, it right. doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't make any sense. And there's no way to trim that carnival down and make it feel. Um, it it would feel disjointed if well, you trim that out. Well, it's where all the right? cool characters are, right? So, right. like that carnival is full of like Defoe is in there doing this really interesting work, and the mm -hmm. geek business is really interesting and yeah you know you have all of the production design that del toro can slap into there to create <laughs> yeah, yeah like disturbances so right. like the enoch character is oh yeah like i it's, it's as if the del toro said wait i'm gonna stick a thing that is definitively me yeah right here like this is i'm gonna i'm gonna be present here i think if this carnival didn't exist in this film at all del toro never would have signed on for this film this would not have happened it, it feel right yeah you know what's interesting is his early early 
main film. So like not the first like super independent stuff, mm -hmm. but like Kronos um, and The Devil's Backbone. They're films that are not dissimilar to this. And if you think about uh, Pan, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, it is not dissimilar to this film. Mm -hmm. um, it's a film that is about a time period where yeah. like uh, oppression and poverty were there and this sort of hum humanities and humanity. Oh yeah. And, and the fact that there are innocents we should care about, right? right. And Molly becomes the stand-in for the children he uses in some of those other films, right? So like yeah. in his this rich world of his, that the way he sort of sees the world, all that's there. Um, uh, so so yeah, I think you're right. I think that Carnival has all the things he needs to tell the story of the fantasy worlds that he loves to engage in. Right, because it almost doesn't world. feel those carnivals don't really exist today. Not at all. You know, and so that 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 completely feels like a different realm, a different world. This fantastical. A set piece right like it does it just doesn't feel real at all but it it does feel grounded still in reality right we knew of a time when those things existed and uh yeah i think if i think if that didn't exist in this film he never would have even been interested yeah. in doing this movie well, uh, it, and i know he's watched the original because it's a mm -hmm. film you watch right if you're doing yeah. that kind of stuff and his interest is in that so right uh yeah you know i i want to say that the um the film telegraphs a lot there's a great moment early on where Bradley Cooper looks at a mirror that says, you're a sinner, right? Mm. And I thought that Funhouse set piece was ridiculous when he's yeah. hunting for the geek in yeah. the Funhouse. That was so, so well done. Yeah, and you're seeing all the sins that are listed on the... Yeah, and, and all the ma ma the machinery right. that looks like it could really exist in the time, yeah. whether or not really it could technologically, right. it looks like it. Um, I, Right, like he walks into the devil's belly or something like that. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it definitely telegraphs. Well, you say telegraphs a lot, but I think that it just it just foreshadows his descent. Right. But if people aren't watching films the way you and I are, then they're never going to pick up on yeah. those sort of things, right? So it, it may telegraph, it may tell us where we're heading for people who uh, watch films like us. But for other people who find it a little bit boring they're not going to pick out any of that sort of thing but it will still feel um cohesive in the end right. to them because they'll they may not remember it but they'll remember the tone mm -hmm. and so yeah and yeah i don't know well, like, i mean i don't know why we haven't seen a um i'm not gonna bash screen rant so i'll say screen crush top like easter eggs about this it is chock oh, yeah. full right of little signals for us um over yeah. and over again in the original the uh, tarot cards play a much more mm. substantial role that tarot card thing that happens later that right is right, an right echo right. of what happens earlier like he actually mm. gets like it's just a reminder for us that this is where we're headed yeah um the, the so, tarot cards in the hotel room the, yeah, yeah that pre-exists in the carnival it has a lot more life in the carnival okay in the original and probably in the books i'll bet in the books there i bet the tarot cards there. come up all the time in the books yeah so yeah. so um but th th all of that, when I say telegraphing, you are right to to chastise my word and correct it by saying foreshadowing. Because I think you're right. Like yeah. it's just really good filmmaking, right? It, like, yeah, that's it, what is, it is. It is just all this plant and payoff. He's just setting up the end. Um, he, that's all. That's all he's doing. I mean, he does it over and over and over again, especially with the geek in the cage, right? Like having to drop him off at this hospital, and at that point, right, he has to go and find a new soul to steal right right for this and so you learn at that point too that 
he doesn't have the same person in the in the cage all the time mm-hmm. and you learn what he does and how he gets that person in and you're thrown off for a second at the end of the film when he walks in and um was it Tim Blake Nelson is there instead of Willem Dafoe who is spectacular. He crushes it what? for the for oh, the three minutes gracious. of screen time that he all, has. All you want to do is say, "I wish you were in the whole film." Yeah, he was so good, and you don't realize what he's what he's about to do, but the second he pours him some liquor, you say, "Oh God, he took oh he completely took over." You've seen Enoch on the on the in the jar, right? And he's pouring him some liquor, and uh, offers to help him, and you said, "Oh shoot!" And he's gonna do it. He's, he's got him. He's got him hooked already. Um, in the in the original film, Molly is in that carnival, mm-hmm. and the film ends with her discovery, her back. which is wildly tragic. And her discovery, her discovery of him in the cage as the geek, yeah, wow. as he tries to escape. They're really, really interesting. Wow, yeah, that's um, that's hard. There was a moment when, um, I knew that ending was coming. I knew that ending had to be the only ending to this film, right? Um. Because of the symbolism, of course, right, with him in a cage and of of the past sins that he's committed and all of all of these things, but also because of what what you said that you know they've they've uh, they've foreshadowed all of this, they've mm-hmm. telegraphed all of this already, they've shown you the ending before, you know, the end has even gotten here before they even jump the two year mark, they've shown you the ending for this character, uh, you just don't realize it, but the second that he crawls into this train car, and moves the crates behind the chickens. Yeah, I said he is just he's he just caged himself in. Yeah, and I'm like this. I, that was the moment I realized that it has to end. One, well, it's chickens too, right? And it's Which, chickens, right? Which is what we saw the uh, geek bite the head off of right. earlier. And it was the chickens plus the cage that that told me that's where the film is ending in like ten minutes. And sure enough, that's that's where it went. And uh, it was, I mean, it. I felt so good at the, I didn't feel good at the end of the movie, but I felt good. I felt satisfied, I guess I'll say with how it ended and mm-hmm. how it wrapped everything up. Right. It was neatly packaged. It felt like for me anyway. Yeah. I think it's, a, and it's a great noir. Like it does, yeah. it hit, but hits all the noir buttons. Like I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I don't, I don't want to pull back. No, my, no, no. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. Criticism's good. We need criticism. Right, like for there's these things films, to challenge yeah. it, but I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I think it's really viewable. I think it's probably gorgeous on a big screen. I would have loved to see this in theaters. Uh, and we know that it's been re-released in as in black and white. Yeah. Part of the re- why that syncs up right now for us doing this review because it did so poorly in December, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in black and white it's probably equally as gorgeous because Del Toro understands how to frame a shot. Like yeah. the shot framing in this is informative and evocative. Like it does everything, yeah. along with being composed beautifully. Yeah. So like that that's everything really from color to costumes to all of it. All of yeah. it is blocking is great. Like mm-hmm. all of it is great. Um there are some really shocking moments in the film. There's some less shocking moments that just build character. Uh all the mentalist stuff for me was really, really interesting. Uh, to see how, like the process of how he's reading people and what he's doing, guessing, guessing the the pistol in the purse sort of thing. I thought right. she had him, right? And he pulls this out of thin air mm-hmm. and is able to do this. Just shows actually how talented he is as a person. Um, oh, one thing we didn't talk about was the the morals make up. You need the moral morality in there for the noir, right? Like it has to be in there. Right. And he has this such a sense of twisted morality of I'm. I'm cheating people, but I'm giving them hope by showing them 
what they what they want for healing right? right and he's completely convinced as a character who's actually doing bad things that he's actually doing a good thing which makes him a really compelling anti-hero right to watch uh i mean he's saying he's helping this really bad guy out richard jenkins character i don't remember his name in the, in the movie he's helping this character out who's an awful person <laughs> and he's taking the money from him stealing this money from him a boatload of money i think i i think i looked it up it was like 10 10 grand was like the equivalent of over a hundred thousand dollars or something like that today right he's doing multiple sessions for 10 grand each the man is just stealing money essentially and and cheating him out of this but he believes that he's giving him hope by showing him this person who he c killed and mutilated right for, right right and forced this abortion on or right, this, right. this miscarriage on and like it's so it's so twisted in so many ways and uh you're both rooting for him to get away with it and you it, there's something in, in in the back of your mind that says like i hope he I hope he gets caught, but I hope he doesn't get punished for it. And then the moment changes when you find out that he killed his, I'm assuming his father. Right. That you said, this dude has been bad for a very long time, but there is some significant trauma that was mm -hmm. pushed on him as a kid in some, in some aspect that we don't see. Right. So it's, he's such a flawed character. Yeah, and, and by asking Molly to do what he asks Molly to do, that there's a there's this like bridge yeah. too far he goes, right? Yeah, right. There, he, he crosses this line. He, he does, and that and the uh, uh, Jenkins' name's Grendel, something mm. Grendel, Ezra, mm. Ezra, Ezra Grendel. Ezra. Yeah, um, and he, uh, we even get like pathos for him. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I mean, I think that that he's such an interesting character. He's so interesting. Well, and I I love the fact that that we see and as much as it's awful we see uh Steenburgen do that murder suicide moment like that's incredible mm -hmm. incredible yeah piece of information that lets us but it does completely undercut any action that stan does hmm. from that moment on what stan's doing is not okay right because we the, he thinks there's positive consequences and they're they're right they're right he not. thinks he's giving people hope but he's actually doing the opposite right yeah it's it was it was really complex there was a lot of warnings for him and and those warnings were necessary because of we like we as the audience need to understand those mm -hmm. warnings as well we need to be warned along with him uh so it was it was very good we've talked about cinematography a bit we talked about the you know the color a bit what do you think of like the actual period piece, the design, the sets, the costuming, all that stuff? So I think that's fantastic. And again, it's one of those things where when you make film in 2020 or whenever he was shooting this, mm -hmm. you are making film with a capacity that you could not have done in 1947. Right. 1947's film looks great. It, uh, but the the richness of the design. So, I mean, it's what just what time period does this take place in? It's it's depression, right? Like it's right. definitively in the depression. Yeah. Um, which is this that nineteen thirty six to nineteen, like nineteen twenty nine to nineteen forty period. Yeah. That depression in the World War Two is like Del Toro's like He's strongest bread and suit. Like, yeah. It's really where he lives. Yeah. Um, there's a simplicity to the world. Then there's a it's a world without telecommunication so there's this parochialness to that world and it's a world that's always looking for hope in some aspect and it's the world where the rise of yeah. the um 
fascism is yeah. in the background everywhere. It's all yeah. things. That oh, Bill especially in Pan's about. Labyrinth. Right. right. Like, that's all right. that is. Yeah. But the other, I mean, there's other films very similar. And if you mm. think about it, that's present in a lot of his movies. Yeah. Even in films like Hellboy and whatever, you can still see that sense of like the yeah. individual fighting against. And, and the other thing I think that the depression period does is it lets you be morally uh, ambiguous. It just, it's simpler because the, there's so many, external pressures on these right. characters that that like that you give them a pass for what they're doing sort of thing like in a sense you at least are that it feels like they're in a world that is pushing them uh -huh. into corners because of the the difficulty of living in the right. world that they're in right um, surviving you have to do whatever is necessary mm -hmm. you you have to steal a loaf of bread to feed your family yeah you know yeah like totally uh, and that I think that's that's something that that attracts him to some extent. It's a guess, but whatever. No, no, no yeah. So I think yeah. this. I think the production design's great. Yeah, I think so too. I I, I mean specifically, I think that Kate Blanchett's office. Oh my goodness, was just a stunning, a Amazing. stunning set, from the patterns to the colors, like, just everything about it was was so detailed and so rich. Uh, the, the hotel rooms, like all of these, all of these places, and there's some really. I feel like I remember there being like some, some long, sh maybe not necessarily long shots, but tracking shots or pans where you're seeing like a full set, mm -hmm. right? They're not just hiding. They're not building like half a set somewhere. Right. Like these are legit places where they're, they're full, full rooms, completely decked out where the lighting is, might be built into the actual set here. Like the, the level of detail that they went for, for the film is, is beautiful. It's amazing. Um, yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. It was great. So people should watch it. I Absolutely. think that's what I would say. Go see it. Shoot, would, make... would you suggest seeing this in the in black and white in the theater if you can catch it? Like... So I would suggest seeing it in color in the theater. I, I would suggest seeing it in black and white on the screen. Okay. Uh, on the TV. On the TV. I think okay. that's like an interesting. Well, uh, yeah, I just me. don't know if they're going to release it in color. I know, in the... but, uh, but yeah, I would suggest seeing it in the theater just for scale. Yeah. Especially of those carnival set pieces. Totally. Um, but across the board, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, let's uh, get to some awards real quick. Sure. Is there a scene that, that comes to mind, the best scene? Oh, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, for me, I think the best scene, the scene that I remember most is that betrayal from Kate Blanchett. That, that entire betrayal just completely caught me off guard. That's the thing that's going to stick with me, I think. Uh, throughout the my my memory of this film, um, plus the lighting in her office was just so like shadowy and uh, I mean it completely reflected her character too, uh, both of their characters to be right. honest right they're both masked in this in this shadow, and uh, yeah I loved that I loved that scene I loved that scene so much it was so good um, a, a good betrayal for sure um, yeah I, yeah I would say the Grindle scene with Molly is yeah. potentially what I think is the best scene in the film. But I would have to also say a weird one. Hmm. Uh, the yeah, scene with <laughs> Anderson, where Anderson sort of comes to Stan and says, if you mess up my boss's life, you're going to be in trouble. Mm. I thought that was like a really subtly and wonderfully well acted scene. Yeah. Very small, very important, uh, and really beautifully shot. So yeah, um, you can see the loyalty, like, and it raises the stakes of the film too. Really does. So one's big, one's little. There would be. Yeah, I think scene. I think you're right. I think that that scene with Molly where she comes out and her hands are covered in blood. Ugh. 
I mean, visually. And she's she's put the blood sort of right on her stomach, on her right, stomach to show where the sort of the, the yeah. miscarriage abortion. Yeah, R- Richard Jenkins really does. So I, that brings me to my next award question: is best performance. It's David Strathairn, hands down. Yeah, yeah, I think he's so good. He captivates the crap out of me. I mean, I I can't say much else about that. I thought yeah. he was so good as Pete. Um, really, really good. And my second would be Mary Steenburgen. As weird as it is, that little role she huh. was, she rocked that. So, how about that, you? That yeah, him, her shooting her husband in the head is just completely. Well, and so right. it. I don't know how to describe what her emotion was. You know, in that scene, it was. It's very unsettling. But she's doing the work. Absolutely. Yeah. Who you, and from somebody that I wouldn't expect to do that type mm-hmm. of work, right? I think the only other film that I've really seen her in is Step Brothers. So that's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very weird thing. Uh, I, I do think Richard Jenkins just completely crushed this this, yeah. this, this film, his role in this film. Um, so good. And like I said before, I think Kate Blanchett was great too. So um, both of them are kind of up there for me, but I think Richard Jenkins had a little bit more depth, um, a little bit more range in what he was doing from uh, somebody who you felt like could completely kill you at any moment to somebody who's really remorseful for what he's done, but will likely do it again. Right. Exactly. You know? Right. Right. So evil is evil. Evil in, is evil in this world. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's a del Toro thing. Evil is evil. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't, there's, there's no redemption. A, there's not redemption in his films. There's not a lot of redemption. No, no. Yeah. So I think Richard Jenkins for me is, is, is the guy. Um, yeah, the only other two here, the other awards, and we may or may not answer them, is like a most memorable shot. Do you, is there any shot that stands out to you specifically? Uh, well, I mean, you can't say that biting the chicken's head off doesn't stand out <laughs> as a shot that's there. Yeah, uh, I think that that's pretty incredible. Uh, the other shot that would stand out for me, and it's in that um, uh, when he's inside that funhouse, and when he mm. comes upon that last funhouse. Um, uh, door, the exit door, which is like a clown face or something, yeah, and it rises up, and it was a shot that dumped wide really mm. quickly. I yeah. thought it was really well done. It was, I think, it was the devil's face. Yeah, maybe it's the devil's face. I think it was the devil's out. face. It was just, I thought that was a beautifully constructed blocked scene. Yeah, yeah, great shot. Uh, for me, I think I'm gonna say that shot at the end is still, excuse me, still very memorable for me. Um, where where uh, Bradley Cooper is, where Stan is is laughing, right? I think that's the most close up shot we get in the entire film. It might well be. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's literally like chin to forehead, close up. Right. So like a tight extreme. Yeah, it, and it it really caught me off guard because I just didn't, I didn't expect them to go that close. I don't I don't think we've been that close the entire film. And I knew that's where they were going to end it. And he just it's a it's really held out. Like I'm glad that. Del Toro held out on that shot for as long as he did because mm-hmm. it's so unsettling how long he's kind of chuckling to himself for on this liquor opium kick, right, that he's in. You can just feel the descent has reached its end. So right. I'm going to say that. Um, and then uh, lastly, biggest nitpick, which we I think we kind of talked about. Um, and, I, you know, for me, I didn't really think about casting until we started talking. But I'm going to say that I think you, I think you're right about the casting. So my biggest nitpick it's probably that there's some wrong actors in, in the roles. Yeah, I, I think my biggest nitpick is that Perman doesn't have a little more to do in the first half. Sure. To make him a threat, threat in the second in second the act. second half. Yeah. I, uh, and I, uh, I, I, I would feel like that. to see him have been more of a, a danger to Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper's character 
thus making his appearance in that hotel room have more significance. Way more weight to Their it, right? appearance in that hotel room doesn't seem to alter anything except that right, we, right, right. we get the threat of the tarot card. It doesn't change the dynamic right. of their relationship. Uh, it also would have... It also would have heightened some of his, uh, some of the threat of him going back to the carnival later. Right. If we were to assume that Ron Perlman was there, could be there, right? Like our assumption about that before we get the new leader right. or whatever. Yeah, that that would be my biggest nitpick. Yeah, I like and it's that. It's a small nitpick, like it's and it's something that's just a choice. But no, totally, be, yeah. totally, totally. There may be something left on the cutting room floor too that right. that didn't make it in, right? And that that would have changed the dynamic, and maybe it just was pointless. Yeah, right. Who Good knows? Point. Um. That's great. Cool. So you definitely recommend seeing this film. Uh, you can watch this on HBO Max. Yep. I don't absolutely. know how long it's up for. It's probably the 30 day. 30 so day it's thing. Probably two and it'll probably come back at some point too. And then it right over It's turn. actually on Hulu as well. Is it? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Interesting. Random, right? Really surprising. Mm. Very surprising. Uh, cool. So thank you guys for listening to this review. We're going to move into another segment here. Um, I want to talk about rumors. Yeah. So what rumors... Have you been hearing? Because this is your segment, I, I feel like. Open it up. So I, I just feel like this is the geekified <laughs> segment that yeah, we have. So yeah. I want to say that there's a couple of things that I've... So first of all, we have to come to terms with... Um, when I say rumors, it's like crap that's happening in sure. the entertainment industry. That's great. One thing I want to just say straight up is um, I have tr had tremendous fear for this new Lord of the Rings. Sure. And Joanna Robinson and uh, Vanity Fair seems to say the first episodes are good. Um, Not great? Well, very good. Okay. Um, and that... Uh, and They've seen them already? Yeah, seen a couple episodes. Because that's what they do, right? Those folks, they get early, early access. Well, they must still... They must be or watching... At least part of it, whatever. They must be watching like a very early or cut. Whatever. Yeah. But uh, the other thing is that... Um, but there's all this racial blowback that's taking place about the, about hmm. the casting, which is wildly disappointing. I, I want to say that I understand that people are trying to make a reboot of Babylon 5, the science fiction series. Oh, yeah? That I believe may have been shot down, but it should be... No one should remake it that It should series. stay buried. Yeah. It has to stay as it was. Um, and unless they can figure a way to make it have the integrity of the original series' meaning, yeah. which I don't know if you can do today. Sometimes you can't Sometimes you can't remake things, and I feel like that's one you can't remake. Oh, right. So right. Uh, a reboot of it sounds terrifying well, it's to the, me. It's the reason that this Lord of the Rings isn't being rebooted. It's just being... a turn it into a TV show that takes place in a different time period, right? Because right. you can't remake the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. No, it's... It's up there with... You can't remake the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, it's the thing, Like, right. don't don't go and remake Lawrence of Arabia. Mm -hmm. Like, they remade Ben-Hur and, like, that completely flopped. Like, don't yeah. just don't do it. Uh, right. Yeah, that's so, great. So there are a couple of those things that are floating out there. Yeah. I also want to just ask you what um, you think about the um the level of violence we'll see in moon Knight. Uh, it's hard to say because it's disney plus yeah and i don't know if i don't know if they're gonna if they can go there you know like i would imagine that if this was on hbo max and you're gonna see some heads roll and some neck snaps and things like that i so i don't i don't really know i think it'll be violent right. um but I don't think that there's going to be enough like cannon fodder, I think, in this show for it to feel 
I don't know. It depends on maybe if he's killing CG creatures, it might be okay. Which seems to be the that thing seems to he be the shouldn't thing. be doing, right? Yeah. Like, he may, he may, but that feels like that's not this ground-based right. thing that we're we're moving our way towards. It's fascinating. The Moon Knight's yeah. fascinating to me. It it feels this this the show feels like it's going to have this mystical element to it, um, it especially should. this Egyptian mystical right, element. Exactly. And so those are the only creatures that I could see him mm-hmm. beating up. I think in the trailer we see him. Beating the, up like a, a Nubis or something, something or yeah, something like something, that. Yeah. Like there's something there. Uh, so I think any violence, like extreme violence, would be taken out on some kind of CG creature, um, unless they can bring in some kind of red shirt type character, right? That they can just blow to bits all the time. It's what the clone troopers are in Star Wars, or the stormtroopers are in Star Wars, right? They're the equivalent to these red shirts from Star Trek. Yeah. Which you sent me a graphic the other day, which was actually that it was all the deaths from. And the yellow shirts were not far behind. No, not far behind. So they may just be equivalents uh, at this point. Like yellow shirts die just as much as these red shirts do. They just don't get the credit for it. They don't get the credit for their sacrifice. That's great. Um, (laughs) So I think it'll be high, but I don't think it'll be as high as it should be. I'm excited to see what what they do. I I I have a feeling we may see some more brutality. They have to find a way to open the door for Deadpool, and I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, if this I had may a feeling you were going to go there. The doorway, and we know that there is. That we know the Marvel films have to move that direction because there's yeah. no way you do Blade. No, you, you can't do. How do you do Blade not R-rated? Right, and the same thing for. Um, I think Deadpool. Feige has confirmed that a Deadpool film, if Deadpool does, I think he said it's going to at some point, but right. I don't know if that's true or not, but when Deadpool does come to the MCU, that it will be an R-rated Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They're going to have to. They're going to have to do it. You can't... I mean, they've they've shut him up once in one of the films. Right. And everybody hated it. Right. So uh, Ryan Reynolds wouldn't agree to do it either if... No, because that's what he does, right? right? Freaking Ryan Reynolds, he can't not do that. That's all he does. That's what he does. He does it in every role now. Yeah. Well, because, right, we just watched Red Notice, and I'm like, this just feels like Deadpool in the jungle hunting down some treasure. Like... It's just the same character. Over yeah, they're and over literally. Again. If Ryan Reynolds is in a film, there is no fourth wall, right? He, he just, yeah, yeah. Even if he, even if it, even if there is a fourth wall, he does not need to obey the rules of the fourth wall of the universe. No, just, it's, it's everything's just Ryan referencing Reynolds. the audience. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think you're right. I think that this this could open up some uh, maybe maybe violence wise. It could be that doorway in. I the only rumor that I I have come with is. Just the rumors of who may be appearing in this multiverse of madness. Yeah, great. Um, and there's actually a list here. I, I was looking up some lists online of who could arrive. Screen Rant. We'll just go to Screen Rant first here. And actually, we'll only stick with Screen Rant. Uh, here are the rumors. Uh, Edward Norton's Bruce Banner. Do you think he'll appear or not? Yes or no? Uh no i don't think so either <laughs> no because they've i think mark revelo has just completely replaced him edward norton doesn't exist in the mcu well and even if he comes in from another universe i'm wondering if edward norton's gonna be like eh, no, no i don't want to do, do that this. you guys yeah screwed me over. i don't think that's uh, a thing uh ben affleck's daredevil no you don't think so no i think so do you that's fascinating i think he might um i think he might tom cruise's iron man yes i think that i think he will as well uh, John Berthal's Punisher. No, because I think they want him in the regular world and they need to hold off. And that's another one of these. They got to figure out how they're going to do the R of it, right? I, this one I'm up in the air on because I'm not sure if 
I don't know how many of these characters will appear as like actual speaking roles or if they'll appear in some kind of vision right. or some I kind gotcha. of like quick panel. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not 100% sure. So if I could see him showing up alongside Cox. Sure. Uh, in like some kind of different dimension, right? I, so, so it's possible that the same characters are the same people in other world exactly. multiverses right. right we know that because kang is because right? kang is right kang definitively right. is right? right it's the same kang all over the place and so i could see them showing up and us just not knowing if it's in our current right. multi in, in our current universe or in a different multiverse yeah sure i'll buy that um so i'm kind of i'm not really sure uh ghost rider I would love to see Ghost Rider. Yeah, that'd be exciting. And I'd love to see Ghost Rider without the commitment to Nicolas Cage. Yeah, you're not feeling the Nicolas Cage. Well, Ghost whatever. Rider? I, I, we don't need to see him transform. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's rumor somewhere that it could be um, Norman Reedus. Yeah. As Ghost Rider, that'd be super cool. I Reedus think that would be would great. Be, he would be. Yeah, I think he'd be good in the he'd role. He'd be great in the role. Yeah. yeah and actually, uh, yeah, he'd be very good in that. Yeah, role. Yeah. He bring the, He would bring the grittiness to it for sure. Mm. Uh, so that would be fun to see. Uh, this one though. Um, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, played by John Krasinski. I don't think he's going to show up in this film. Right. Um, I would love to see Krasinski play that role. I would too. Especially with Emily Blunt. Right. That would be super cool. But Yeah, I would love to see him do that. Um, and it would be cool if he showed up. And they could put him in without committing because, you know, he could be from a different universe. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a couple of X-Men. So, oh, de oh, definitely. Are you there? Is I, there in your I, I am at the oh, I'm okay, at the X Men here. The, the next uh, the next two are X Men, but I'll throw in another one here. Uh, Professor X. Yes. Would you, do you think McAvoy or uh, Stewart? Stewart. I think yeah. Stewart without question. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it does not canonize those films. Right. It's just he's coming from another universe. He's coming from another universe. That's right. Uh, Jean Grey. No. no. I'm in the same boat. I don't think Jean Grey. And and it's a picture of Sophie Turner, poor soul. This that movie sucked. That, that movie was horrible. so bad. That if you so want to go listen to us, completely crap on uh, what is it, Dark Phoenix? We, you, what was it? A, is that what it was called? It was a completely crapping episode. Yeah, it's on one of us in our first season. Go listen to that like two or three years ago. Movie is so bad. Um, Wolverine. Yeah, I think I think Jackman Wolverine. Appears. Yeah, one hundred. Jackman appears so that they don't have to ever have him come back again. Right. They, like seal the deal, be done with right. it. Right. Different multi different universe. Right. We have a different Wolverine. And all of those X-Men need to show up in a way, don't mm -hmm. need to, but should show up because then they let us know, they let everyone in the Marvel universe, universe know who to look for. Right. So there's a Wolverine right. in our universe too and we're going to go find him. Oh, it's this different looking guy. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Deadpool. I certainly could. I, that's interesting. That's a really interesting yeah. thought. Again, this is another one of those ones where well, I don't think Deadpool has has any impact on the actual story, but he may show up just to tell somebody to f off or something. Yeah, can like you that. imagine him, like, just managing that appearance? That's exciting. It would be fun to watch Deadpool yeah. react to the multiverse mm -hmm. around him. Yep, that's for sure. Uh, Shang Chi is on this list. I hope Shang Chi's in it. It would be fun. I don't know if this, if this fits. If Shang Chi, Shang Chi fits into this specific storyline. I see. There's all of this stuff that happens with the with the training. Like we see mm. the 
the tr- training environment, I could see him being in that yeah. somewhere. Uh, the other two rumors were uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. So I'd love to see them there. I actually would love to see Garfield more than anything else. Yeah. I actually think that they should super consider making a Spider-Man film with him. Um, do a third, a, a third Sony amazing Spider-Man. Should just do it on its own yeah. and do a third amazing. Yeah, I think they could. I think they could absolutely do that movie. They could do it now. Yeah, and they could do and it now. Do it with him going back after that experience, uh-huh. and everyone, uh, people would people watch would watch it. That and get John Watts to direct it. Yep, I think they could. I think you, that is a, a slam dunk for them. I think so. Um, it would be dumb not to do it. But except there's probably some freaking contractual thing. Probably where you can't do probably, anything. Probably, probably. Uh, I hope we again. Okay. Sorry. Lastly, uh, um, Miles Morales. Yes, I was just I was going to say. Okay. I sure hope we see someone as Miles Morales. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we will, but I would love to see that. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think we're going to see. Uh, I think we're going to see a Captain America too. I, I do. There was a, another on another list. There was Hydra Cap. Uh, Hydra Cap. I hope we don't see Hydra Cap. I don't think they'd do that to so, him as a fi- as like a lasting. So Hydra thing. Cap was so controversial, yeah, that I don't know whether you would want to burden your movie right. with something that would derail it that much. Again, there's it's it's a matter of how are these people going to appear, right? And if it's in quick panels, right, that's one. thing. Then that's one right. thing, right? Where you where you flash upon a scene. It could be the same exact shot with Cap walking in with the Howling Commandos behind him, uh, in, but instead of a shield on his chest or instead of the stars and stripes, he has a Hydra logo. Right, or a Hydra logo, right. right. Yeah. And that's all you say. That would be viable. The Hydra from the comics is so bad. Yeah. It's such a bad betrayal, like a complete betrayal of 50 years of comic book. It's right. pretty bad. right. Yeah, so those are the those are the rumors. Great, I cool. think those are fun. I'm I like exci- those. I'm excited for those the uh, that film. See, we'll it. see. Maybe we'll reference back and see how many we've got. A couple of months we've to, gotten to go. correct. Uh, well, that's. I think that's going to be the most irritating Easter egg video of all. It, time. There's gonna be yeah. There, it's gonna be screen crush and new rock stars and heavy spoilers. All those people. Yeah, like, it'll, it'll be, be a six one thousand and two different Easter eggs in this <laughs> exactly. film. It's gonna take them days. The characters you missed. Right, right, uh, right. Here's all the shadowy figures uh, that we saw. I mean, there were people just from uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home who were picking out like, "Oh, Craven the Hunter's yeah, in that thing," is, and like right. all the, you know, all those, all that stuff. But yeah, great, Crazy. all right, cool, good. Well, I think that wraps us up. We have anything else to do? No, that's about it. All right. Well, then check us out on our social media um, at Rack and Focus podcast right that's what we are that's where we are racking focus yeah. podcast you can uh, just go to racking focus podcast.com that's much better much and better find idea. all of our social channels there uh and talk to me about a review talk to me about how they can help us grow this podcast so we need a review uh on any podcast platform but particularly on apple podcasts um and you want to give us five stars because the star ratings are stupid anyway uh yeah. that way people can find us and make a decision for themselves and write whatever you want to write about us in the actual review text that's the way to do it i mean that would be great but you could also share our content and uh if yes. you go to our social channels share things or just answer questions and participate yeah that would be great please help us out help us grow this podcast share it with a friend who you know might like to listen to this sort of thing and uh connect with us on social media so other than that, uh, check out a episode coming out later this week where we're just going to discuss Kimmy. That's also on HBO Max currently. And uh, there's future episodes coming out uh, every week or every other week. So stay tuned for that. 
Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus podcast.